One of the things that's very distinguishing about Elon is that he, uh, you know, is one of the few CEOs we used to say who not only can run a space company, but he actually can build the rocket ship. Women want to make money just like men, right? So, I mean, that, that that's the ultimate purpose. There aren't that many role models out there of, you know, successful women investors that can inspire them, you know, to take that first step. Hello listeners, today we are thrilled to have Betty Liu, a financial journalism powerhouse as our guest, former executive vice chairman of the New York Stock Exchange, who is now serving on boards of not one, but two public companies. Betty shares her remarkable journey, impactful interviews and insights from her book, Work Smarts, in this special episode. Joining me as co-host today is our esteemed editor-in-chief. Matty Alon for a dynamic conversation filled with success stories and inspiration. Betty, Matty, welcome along. Hello. Hi, Sam. Hi, Matty. So great to be with you. And Matty, it's been so many years. I'm so glad that we're reconnected on this platform. So so thank you for asking me to join. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's 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 a pleasure. And, and for me, it's probably very exciting days because it's always good to speak with you so <laughs> same here let's get into it Matty I guess we can come to you first how about we start with you recounting the fascinating story of how you and Betty crossed paths and came together uh yeah it's a funny story well funny story it's a life story but uh yeah I've been like uh, uh you know, invited to Warren uh, uh, breakfast, which he calls it like out of town friends and basically just bring some friends after everybody's taking off from Omaha. So uh, all meeting get together and the way it's set up is just, you know, we sit in a round table. So each person there is sort of Warren Buffett's friend and uh, obviously Betty is one of them. Uh, and a long-term one, and apparently I sat uh, next to Betty in this same table. So then we found ourselves, uh, you know, two hours uh, eating together with few more people sitting with us. Um, and, you know, we just found interest really fast with uh, many other people that I found interest over the years, and obviously Betty as well. And I think Betty's story is fascinating in general as a person. And, you know, Betty's coming from Bloomberg and I'm coming uh, in my uh, career from the financial world. So definitely uh, watching uh, Betty every time uh, discussing with this or that leader. And uh, I guess that's the way we came to know each other. It's interesting for me. I remember that too. And, um, and, you know, I remember interviewing you while I was at Bloomberg as well. So now, now the tables are turned at least for this time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Over fun times. Betty, uh, having interviewed a diverse range of leaders from Elon Musk to Warren Buffett, uh, what key insights have you gleaned about from uh, the various interviews that you've done and the variations in leadership styles? Yes, Sam. Uh, a lot of people ask me that question because I, I spent many years at Bloomberg TV and, and some of the folks that I mentioned that, that you mentioned were people that I interviewed on a regular basis. Um, and, and, and what I found, and this is something that I, you know, I wrote about also in Work Smarts, is that 
um, you can't, you couldn't have picked two more different leaders, right? Between Elon Musk and, and Warren Buffett. But I think that there are some commonalities between the two of them. So one is that they're obviously both visionary leaders. Um, you know, Buffett has changed the game on investing and Elon has changed the game on many fronts from electric cars to space programs and, and, and you know, the list goes on. Um, the other thing that I think was is, is is pretty interesting about about the two of them and about, you know, leaders that we follow with big followerships um, is that they're very authentic. Uh, you know, time and time again, I remember mm -hmm. interviewing Buffett. Um, you know, he is exactly who he is on camera as he is off camera. And the same with Elon Musk, exactly the same on camera and off camera. Maybe you're seeing more than you would expect <laughs> from him these days on camera. Um, yeah. But, you know, when when they would come to the Bloomberg TV offices, they would just arrive on their own. They wouldn't have an entourage of PR people and, and handlers or bodyguards or anything like that. You know, they were just genuinely authentically themselves. And then the last thing I would say, which I think is 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 really important for us to emulate, um, you know, particularly as investors, I think as retail investors is just their independent thinking. They are, you know, fierce, independent thinkers. They have their own opinions on, you know, on various topics of the day. And you obviously see that with Elon Musk these days and, you know, the same with Warren Buffett. So, um, so I think that independent thinking is, is extremely critical. And I think it's also what makes them stand out among leaders. That's really interesting. I think, Betty, uh, independent thinker is probably one of the unique things I found out when I was managing a uh, hedge fund about the people that actually have a very successful business. It was the independent thinking. It's like cutting the bureaucracy, especially in the boardrooms. And Warren Buffett spoke about that so many times that this is one of the biggest advantage that Berkshire Hathaway uh has and and this is you literally spot on um well you know if someone is visiting your uh, twitter account uh, probably the second uh, uh, post there is your interview with elon musk in 2011 um when he was very young person no one probably you know had the headline about elon musk or thought about ev uh, a tesla company but you know, I, I mean, I think it's fascinating to uh, see what you thinking about the change that you saw from this interview, which I invite everybody to go and watch it to today. I mean, obviously, in his uh, vision, as he literally changed the world in many ways. But, you know, interviewing a young person and, in, and now seeing this person literally rule the world in some places. What did you see changed? Yeah, I, I sometimes joke that, um, you know, I, when I interviewed Elon Musk, that was Elon Musk 2.0. Now we're on Elon Musk 5.0 or, or something like that. So, But I say that because, you know, it was many, many years. I just want to caveat that it's been many years since I interviewed him. So I don't profess to know now, uh, you know, what he's thinking but I can glean a little bit about, um, you know, about his his change in leadership just from what I knew before and, and you know, and, and in the context of my um, conversations with him before. So I, I think, you know, one of the things that's very distinguishing about 
uh, about Elon is that he, uh, you know, is one of the few CEOs we used to say who not only can run a space company uh, or a rocket ship company, but he actually can build the rocket ship. So, you know, he, <laughs> he literally can do that. Um, and I think that's what's so, you know, what, what has so fascinated people about him. Um, you know, I got to know him, as you had mentioned, you know, about 10 years ago or so is when I, when I had um, started interviewing him and um, I, you know, I chose him to, uh, and I was privileged to have him uh, be interviewed for my book. And, and one of the lessons that he taught me that I think, you know, that I still carry with, to me, with me today um, is something that we talked about, which is fear. So, you know, I remember sitting in his office at SpaceX and, you know, I asked him, the I said to him, really, I said, you seem like the least fearful person in the world. I mean, you're running at that time two companies and, um, you know, you brought one from the from the brink of bankruptcy and and and, you know, you just seem like the least fearful person. And he kind of looked at me weird and said, what do you mean? I'm the most fearful person out there. And uh, and he said, but the biggest fear I have is the fear of regret. So I don't want to, you know, leave this earth um, regretting not doing anything uh, or not doing the things that I wanted to do. So, you know, that might be why we see that, you know, he's built uh, several companies since then. I mean, he, you know, has this drive and this ambition. And a lot of that comes from this fear of regret, which really inspired me um, on my journey as well as an entrepreneur and the different, you know, twists and turns I had in my career. But but that really did inspire me. The amazing part about it, I think, is that yeah. he is literally also behind uh, chat GPT. I mean, artificial intelligence, right? I mean, he's the person who started that. Uh, I, I would probably ask him today what his biggest fear from a company that he left because it became to for-profit sort of, uh, you know, business model that he didn't sided with. Um, yeah, fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Elon, if you're if you're watching, that's your your cue to come on uh, a future episode. Um, Betty, as as a as a leader with experience in in public companies over the years, have you noticed any significant changes in the the landscape of leadership? And if so, how do you sort of perceive those changes? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey where you know I started off reporting on companies and reporting on CEOs and business leaders, and now I'm you know sitting alongside them in the boardrooms and helping you know advise them um, and and just talking to them about you know about strategy and 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 what they're you know what are the concerns on the mm -hmm. horizon, and I think um, you know one of the things that uh, that is true for public company CEOs is that tenures are getting shorter and shorter. It's a lot harder these days to be a public company CEO. I don't want to over dramatize it either because it's, it's, it's not like it's going from 10 years to five years. It's more like going from 7.8 years to, you know, 7.2 or something along those lines. And don't quote me on these exact numbers, but, yeah. but I'm just saying that the increment is shorter, but but it does un it does underline um, the the you know a, a common refrain you hear from public company CEOs, which is it's harder and harder to run your company for the long term, when you also have to be concerned about hitting short term targets. So you know, so I think uh, I, I think it, it is it is a struggle. It still is though for 
certain companies the best way to execute strategy. You know, I believe I, I drank the Kool-Aid when, when I was at the New York Stock Exchange, and I believe in this very firmly that um, that there's a certain profile of a company and there's thousands of them out there that ought to be public. And the reason for that for the company side is that it gives you a, a bigger platform. It gives you currency, M&A currency. Um, and it uh, overall you know, re retains and rewards your employees with that public currency. Um, for investors, it allows retail investors in particular the ability to participate in the economic sort of the fruitful economic um, engine of, of, of this country. So, you know, you as a retail investor can buy into companies that are the innovators of this economy. So yeah. I think on both sides, that's to me, that's the that's the reason why I am such a big proponent of companies going public. And I think also the other aspect that, um, you know, another reason why I'm I'm a big proponent of public companies is I think it's just better governance. You know, there's more transparency. I mean, you know, certainly hear from companies, the regulatory burden, you know, the 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 bureaucracy that comes with going public at the same time it does present a level of transparency to investors a you know a common level of transparency um and just greater governance which i think protects investors overall so you know so to me it, it's a win-win for you know for both the companies and also for the investors yeah it, it matty it, it seems the pros outweigh the cons of of going public would you agree uh, well, it, it, it's again, if I'm looking from value investing perspective, it really depends what your uh, strategy here. Uh, obviously, if you have a fantastic business and, you know, it's making a free cash flow, so you're probably not going to run doing uh, go public uh, because you're just growing fast unless you really want to grow fast. Yeah. Uh, but for some companies, especially with this age of technology, you know, things are moving much faster. I mean, uh, today you can build some software that can make millions day after and you just need the capital to really uh, get the R&D team to, to be able to just or sales team to be able to just uh, keep up with the demand. Where if you build now, I don't know, an auto company, it will take time, will take investment, you need to prove yourself and everything. So, yeah, yeah, th there is a case for going public uh, uh, this more in this age. Uh, and, you know, in addition to that, I think retail investors and all investors, they want to participate, to be part of the game. And if those companies will not go public, how are we going to invest in them? And if you remember, you just recently did a conversation with leader with a drone company, uh, John Haley, I think, uh, the yeah. CEO name, and he's going to go IPO. And I have uh, a friend approached me and said, Mati, I really want to invest in a drone company. It was by coincidence. And I'm like, okay, I'll search for a drone company in the stock market. I literally couldn't find one. I mean, there is a specific company that under his business, they have a drone setup, but there is no a drone company. And, you know, then it's like hit me and said, okay, now I understand how people, what they want to, they want to be part of it. And unless you're VC, and you have a big capital, you just won't be part of the game. So it makes sense. Yeah, and it levels the playing field, doesn't it? I think it's uh, it's great. Um, 
Bessie, let, let's just move on, if we can, to uh, female investing and then in your focus group discussions with women about investing. What have been the primary takeaways or insights you discovered regarding that participation in capital markets? Yeah, it's just been a, 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 a personal passion of mine. And, and some of that is informed just by my personal experience. You know, as a business journalist for over 25 years, you know, I never had the opportunity to really do any, you know, any active uh, investing. And because obviously, you know, that would be a conflict of interest with the companies that I was reporting on. Yeah. So when I took off my journalist hat, um, I, I said, you know, I have so much knowledge or, you know, that I learned from people like Maddie and, and others about the markets and about companies. You know, I want to apply that to to my own portfolio. And um, what I quickly realized mm -hmm. is that there's one thing about knowing about companies and financial markets. And there's another thing when you actually put your own money to work. Right. Those are two very different mindsets. And. And then that got me interested in just thinking about women and in investing, period. Um, and what I found, which I think, you know, and these are generalities. So obviously there's, you know, there's um, deviations from these generalities. But generally speaking, you know, women do lag men in investing um, in, in the markets. And the, the sort of what some of the findings show that women, when they invest, um, they're long-term investors and they want to invest in, you know, in companies that they believe in. doesn't mean men don't invest that way either, but, you know, and I look at my own boys, you know, who are now they're, you know, they're adults now and, and they do investing and, you know, they've said to me, and I've heard this consistently with, with others, you know, other, other male friends that I've talked to is that sometimes investing is more like a sport, you know, or it's betting. It's, you know, kind of a little bit more like a game. And um, and I don't, I just don't think women, you know, really look at it that way. We're maybe a little bit more risk averse. So we're, you know, we're looking at putting that money, um, in, you know, put that money to work in the long term. The other thing I found uh, about women and being women investors and first time investors is that the, you know, the whole space of financial markets is very jargony. Um, you know, I I was a little bit less sensitive to that because I kind of grew up in the, you know, in the business world learning that jargon and getting used to it. But I think as a first time investor, you know, it can be very off putting and just, you know, hearing all that jargon is enough to just keep you on the sidelines. I mean, it can just keep you from, from investing. Um, so, you know, when people have asked me questions like, you know, oh, how do I start investing? I mean, the first thing I say to them is I'm not a financial advisor. So you know, <laughs> this, is, this is just my personal opinion. But if you just want to, you know, set it and forget it, just put your money into an index, you know, ETF, um, and, you know, and just never look at it again. And that's, you know, that's the easiest thing to do. But I do, you know, when I say that, I also say, you know, there is a there is an element of fun to investing, you know, there is a there is a reward when it comes to it, you know, finding good companies and putting your money to work. So, you know, you can do that, put your money in an index fund, but then maybe put, you know, take a little bit out $1,000 or whatever. Um, and, you know, and start investing in individual stocks and just learn, you know, learn how to do it because there is a really great satisfaction reward when it comes to investing, knowing of course that you can lose the money too. So whatever money you, you set aside, make sure you're comfortable with, you know, losing all of it. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's, that's very true. Certainly about stock picking, you know, or even just investing in indexes, there is that reward at the end or potential reward and 
Um, I, I agree as well, by the way, about the jargon. I think it initially does put people off, but uh, it feels like it's improving. Uh, and with the rise of the retail investor, I think the playing field is getting leveled, which is good. Matty, um, I know that we've got a lot of investment coming to the female world this year at eToro from a content point of view. Is there anything you uh, can bring to light on that for our listeners? When you are speaking and making a world only for women, it creates sort of uh, the opposite than what it really needs to be because if women and males are equal, so they need to be equally treated in every place, if it's a boardroom, if it's an investment. And for us, even here, you know, we have Betty, we have me, and we have a host. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean on that. And I think what you achieve when you're doing that is that you just give an equal opportunity. Yeah, Sam, I, I, I mean, one of the projects that we have at eToro is the Popular Investor Program, where, you know, people are managing their own money and, and they're like a bit more expertise and they have some uh, people following them. And when I joined eToro four years ago, uh, I worked with 22 uh, Popular Investor, which we... Uh, literally handpicked and looked for value investors and I was really working with them one-on-one -on -one and you know just trained them more about uh, investing uh, in value investing giving them more empowerment and uh, one of the person there were actually a female her name is Neza and she was an amazing mm -hmm. young lady uh, which doing her master's in biotechnology, brilliant person that just fell in love with value investing. So she read probably every single book about it. And when me and her worked very closely about those things in order to improve all the knowledge and, and everything about her investment style, she really needed this, like, uh, you know, the practical step, how I'm taking everything I read to actually uh, uh, doing it. And now, fast forward, she's one of our top performers as a popular investor. And nice. if you sit with Neza, it's not like it was with Neza and it was with another 21 other young guys, which also become successful. So it has nothing to do female or male. They're both equal, in my opinion. It's just a matter if you're into it, if you want to do it. And what's the process as you learn? Now... What the process says, mm. it's a big word because I know a few things. I know as what Betty just mentioned is that females are want to learn a bit more before they're uh, jumping uh, to the water. And this is something we're investing a lot now to really think and see. And we're doing surveys about it to understand what the female want to learn in the beginning, what she's missing, instead of just bringing somewhere that is very powerful, you know, like with a 50 year of background, not every female want to be that person. She just want to participate in the retail market and invest in the stock market. And you want to show also those baby steps uh, uh, in order to get her into this uh, world. Uh, so this is definitely uh, one thing we're going to do, which is the dedicating the uh, knowledge for women about it. Um, and, you know, just try to empower them in really live sessions, in events that we're doing 
But again, not dedicate for that. Is just try to show them that they can be part of it. And it's a hard task. Yeah, I'm not dreaming. I'm not saying tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and I'm going to uh, succeed in everything I'm doing. But we're doing a lot of investment in that. You know, I, I think that's great, Maddie, that you're taking that on. And, and, you know, you said a few things that really resonate with me. You know, one is that, I mean, you know, women want to make money just like men. Right. So, I mean, that, that that's the ultimate purpose. And, you know, and and. And the second thing that you mentioned, which I think is so important, and, and some women that I talked to mentioned this to me, is that, you know, there aren't that many role models out there um, of, you know, successful women investors that can inspire them, you know, to take that first step. You know, we keep mentioning Warren Buffett, and there's, you know, obviously lots of other investors out there that we can we can talk about, but they're all men. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, they're still inspiring. But I think for a woman to see, you know, another successful woman investor, you know, that is, you know, that that's a little bit more of a connection for them. So to the extent that you're, you know, you're surfacing successful people like that on your platform, I think that that's going to help people, you know, want to get on board and start their investing journey. Betty, a question just on the, on, on your own journey, um, as someone who at times obviously not professionally invested, but involved in capital markets, could you share that journey that you went on from an investment point of view, any challenges that you faced along the way, any advice for females entering this crazy, it seems, investing world as a bit of a side activity? Yeah, well, I, I think just to pick up on on that last comment, I think uh, any successful investor will say that they've lost money along the way, and that's what helped make them successful investors. So I definitely um, was able to experience that at many points during my invest investment journey. So, But they were all good learning lessons for me. Um, and, and a couple of things that really kind of stood out for me as I started to, you know, started to invest my own, um, you know, my own money is just, is just one that, you know, it, number one is um, conviction. And that kind of is related to independent thinking. You know, if you have found, um, you know, a company that you really want to own that you, you know, that you have a lot of conviction on, um, go big. That's, you know, that's the way you'll, you'll succeed is to go big on it. Um, the second thing is controlling your emotions. Um, you know, FOMO, the fear of missing out is such a big, um, you know, it's, it's such a big emotion. And, um, you know, I have many times uh, made the wrong decisions, you know, based on FOMO. And, you know, and, and so, so every, so I've said to myself, every time I do something, I have to check myself. Am I doing this based on FOMO? And if I am, I am not doing it. Um, so, so basically as try, you know, try as much as you can when you're investing to take your emotions out of it. Um, you know, both fear in terms of fear of missing out or, uh, you know, fear of losing your money. Um, because I've also sold too early, um, you know, many times based on, you know, based on that emotion. So I think it's, it's kind of what I said before about independent thinking. I think that's critical. And I think when you find something that you really have conviction on, you know, go big or go home. And then the third is just, you know, making sure you check your emotions and take as much of it out of, as possible. It's hard to take out all of it, but take out as much as you can um, when you're putting your money to work. How many people, men, women, whatever, you would hear just like Betty really saying the truth about losing, about mistakes, about what she learned? And I think it's it's. First, I'm proud to, that we have Betty saying that you know, on, on our show, uh, because really, 
and Betty mentioned that in the beginning, serious investors, they're not afraid of speaking about it. They're not afraid of understanding that this is part of the game. This is part of the business. Uh, but yeah, you always need to constantly learn from that. And, you know, I mean, take super uh, a smart investor. They still making mistakes. No one is prevented oh, yeah. from that. I, I mean, definitely. So thanks, Betty, for sharing that. I mean, that was fascinating. I'm glad to share my loss. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you said, you know, don't get lesson learned is don't get Betty wrong. She did amazing with her life. Amazing. <laughs> we all can be only jealous with selling companies and everything. But yeah, that's a side note. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate the honesty. And, and like Maddie said, you've had a, an incredible uh, career. And obviously, one of the things you, you, you currently do and, and, and have done is held key roles at public companies. How does your perspective differ from that of an external investor, especially when you consider your positions as vice chair of the NISE and CEO of Intercontinental Exchange? Yeah, well, I was a uh, chief experience officer. Um, at, uh, at at intercontinental, yes, sorry, intercontinental yes. exchange, um, and, and actually that that brings me to 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 the point because actually the chief executive officer of intercontinental exchange is um, a man named Jeff Sprecker who founded the company, grew the company mm -hmm. through um, both organically and through M and A and intercontinental exchange. Also owns the New York Stock Exchange, so you know that is that that is my connection to them. Um, you know they had bought my company uh, several years ago. So, but but it, but I'm, I meant that it, it brought me to this point, which is that um, it, in my view and and what I've seen is that I think companies that have had um, the founders continue to run, you know, continue to run those companies in the public markets. General, and this is more anecdotal than it is, you know, I haven't run any statistics on this, but they generally fare better th mm -hmm. than others. And I think it's, you know, probably obvious, right? I mean, founders are more, you know, they have a bigger stake likely in, in these companies. So they've got more skin in the game and they've obviously built it from the ground up. So, you know, so they have a, they have, you know, a personal, personal attachment and, uh, and, 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 and mission and purpose tied up with, you know, with their own company, but Jeff Sprecher founded Intercontinent Exchange, you look at Jensen Huang and NVIDIA, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and um, and Meta. I mean, these are all founder CEOs and those companies, generally speaking, are, you know, particularly Meta. You saw the earnings report, um, you know, last week are, you know, are, are really killing it. Um, and then just in terms of my my own experience, you know, a, a, as I mentioned, I've been, you know, when I was at the New York Stock Exchange, I started the board advisory council which is the NYSE Board Advisory Council. I co-founded that with two other directors at Intercontinental Exchange. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to bring in um, companies that were in the NYSE community who needed to um, expand their boards and also diversify their boards. So, you know, adding more women, adding more minorities onto the board. And that was really important to me, not just personally, but also from a governance perspective. So on all the boards that I serve, I'm proud to say they're all very diverse um, and it's a diversity, not just along gender lines or, you know, or race lines, but it's also very diverse in terms of the um, experiences that people bring to the table. Um, and so I think it, it, in that respect, you know, what I've, what I've noticed and what I've experienced myself is that when you have people come to the table with their different backgrounds, whether it's technology or consumer or, 
or you know legal or banking um it all creates a much more robust conversation and and greater governance so um you know so maybe to break it down for you know for the people who are you know listening on um you know listening to this program and their retail investors you know it is important to take a look at the composition of the board it is important to take a look at the people around the table yeah. you know are these people around the table um people that come with you know backgrounds that are important to the to the growth of the company um are they people that you feel would be confident would challenge you know the management team and you know really make sure that there's robust discussion i think that is an important element when you're looking at investing in companies yeah i couldn't agree more couldn't agree more i think uh that is something that people are starting to you know learn a little bit more about now when they're looking to invest in a company okay well look at the management see what they're doing yeah, yeah. see who they are uh matty from your past experience that you've had as as a hedge fund manager have you observed any notable differences between, I mean, it's male or female CEOs of public companies throughout your career? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that there is one, and it's bureaucracy. Something about women knows how to cut bureaucracy. Uh, I've seen it in General Motors uh, with the Marie Bra CEO. I've seen it with PepsiCo, Indra Noe. I've seen it with Meg Whitman, Meg Whitman which did an amazing work uh, with eBay um yeah th there is something there that it's a bit more cut to the chase uh so definitely you know that's also proven right why female can succeed on those parts and by the way those are billionaires uh, by their own self-made so uh definitely there is an effect there i think there was a research once about female being a CEO, I would really need to find it, Betty, and share it with you. And there is a, one of the things I think it's about bureaucracy, but I, I'll try find it out and, and share it with you guys. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, and, and, you know, okay. uh, maybe women, you know, women have to cut, cut through the tape and break those ceilings. So maybe that's why they have lower tolerance for bureaucracy. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Betty, your, your book, Work Smarts, which we mentioned a little bit about earlier, uh, offers valuable insights. Could you briefly share the main concept or advice from the book that would resonate with our audience today? Sure. Um, so, you know, so I wrote that book really for myself. I think a lot of authors might say that about their own books. Um, you know, I was listening to uh, great life lessons from, you know, from people like Buffett and Musk and, and others. And, and I thought to myself, you know, why sequester this just for myself? You know, other people should be able to share in these nuggets of, of, you know, wisdom and the, you know, these great pieces of advice that people were giving me directly, you know, that this would be, these would be conversations that would happen after the cameras turned off. And I would just have, you know, have life conversations with, the, with these leaders. Um, and I think if I can boil down sort of what, you know, what are the principles or, or what are the three big leadership lessons that I learned from from interviewing, you know, all, all these folks is is one of them I mentioned, which is the fear part, the fear of regret, you know, that I that I learned from, uh, from you know, from Elon Musk. So that's that's I, I call yeah. that fear. So that's the first F. Um, so there's three F's here. Um, the second is finances, which is. I, you know, I, I think most people do, obviously most people want to make a lot of money or a lot of people want to make a lot, a lot of money, but I don't think everybody wants to aspire to be a billionaire or, you know, to have the riches of, I mean, it would be, it would be great, 
But, you know, I think a lot of people would be happy if they had, you know, several million dollars. And, and what I mean by that is that, yes. you know, the objective is to have enough money so that you can make choices independent of your financial situation. And so that's what I mean by finances is the aspiration to, you know, to be financially free, you know, to have that freedom. Um, and then the third thing I learned about um, from these leaders is flow. So flow is really about your mission, your purpose. You know, when you're on your mission, when, you know, when I'm sure many of you, I'm sure the two of you have experienced this yourself, but when you're doing work that, you know, that really makes, that really makes you feel like this is my purpose, this is my mission, you know, that's when you're in flow. And then it doesn't feel like work anymore. You know, like, you know, Maddie has said many times, Buffett wakes up and tap dances to work. You know, he's in flow with what he, you know, with what he does. It's not a, it's not a slog. And I think that's what, you know, that's kind of nirvana for all of us is that when we hit that flow, you know, anything can happen. Um, so those three F's were kind of the print, you know, the, the framework that, that came out of, of writing work smarts. Betty, are there any specific principles from uh, the book that you find particularly valuable for retail investors and especially those in the sort of 25 to 40 age range? Yeah, if, if I were to think about one, you know, one kind of lesson to draw, you know, outside of the three F's that I mentioned, one lesson to draw from from these leaders that you can apply to investing is that, you know, these leaders have said to me time and time again, you know, do what you're good at. If you're if, if you're good at it, focus on that and, you know, and, and, and hone in on it. Uh, and, and I take that primarily from Jamie Dimon, who is the CEO of JP Morgan. Um, he recounted a story in Work Smarts where he, you know, he had left um, Citigroup and was contemplating his next move. And one of the positions that was open to him was to become the CEO of Home Depot. He, you know, loved the company, loved the um, loved the founders, and you know, had walked through the aisles of of various Home Depots. And then at the end of the day, he said, "You know what? I don't know anything about home improvement." You know, I, I don't know anything about that. I, I know about finance. I know about the banking industry, but I don't know anything about home improvement. So he declined, um, you know, taking taking on that role and then went on to, to take the role of um, CEO of Bank One. And then after that, of course, then became, you know, the CEO of JP Morgan and probably is one of the best uh, best bank CEOs we, we've ever had in history. Um, and, and so I think, you know, drawing from that, from that, you, you take the lesson of, you know, do what you're good at. So if you're in, investing and, and you have a specialty in, in whatever it might be, you know, mine is media, um, others may be retail or gaming, you know, whatever whatever expertise you have, you're probably going to be able to to make money and to find the, the best investments in those industries that you have an expertise in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's very, very solid advice. Um, Matty. A little birdie told me there's an intriguing story about someone paying for dinner with you. Could Another you, uh, story. Could you oh share goodness. a little bit about that? <laughs> I'll, I'll say the story, but uh, I'll let uh, Betty put it in context. I mean, yeah, I, after we met at Warren, so uh, I'm visiting from time to time in New York. So I just said to Betty, you know what, next time I'm in New York, let's catch up and, and you know, just... Uh, 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 meet and eat, and then uh, we went to it at uh, I think it was Nobu, right? Uh, the Japanese restaurant. It was actually close to my hotel, and uh, I met Betty there. 
So we ate and everything. It was fun. It was really nice catching up. And then we're we coming to, you know, the check is coming and I'm like about to pay. And Betty, no, no, leave it to me. I'm like, what do you mean leave it to me? I'm going to pay. And she's like, no, leave it to me. And I'm like, man, what do you mean? I'm going to pay for that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so she paid for that. Now, Betty, put it in context. So. <laughs> well, number one, Maddie, welcome to the 21st century. Women do pick up the check sometimes. I agree. I agree with that. I agree. <laughs> It was in the 20th century, you remember, Betty? You were young, I was an old person, so... Amazing. Well, look, on that note, we'll wrap it there for today. Betty, Matty, thank you so much for joining thanks. us. Thanks, thanks, Sam. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, Betty.